there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Well, from Advanced Earth Medicine Monday with Liam Sheff last hour, we go to Advanced Medicine Monday. And by the way, you should notice that in the show notes, we have it linked up and also separate articles related to the registration for the next Advanced Medicine Seminars in Charlotte coming up the 19th and 20th of July for all healthcare providers and the 20th for everyone else. And I'll be up there and we look forward to seeing you in person, Dr. Batar. Well, Robert, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the Charlotte events, because it's in your backyard, it's, very, it's super exciting. Even though sometimes you're unknown in your own home, even though you're not somewhat, you know what I'm saying, sometimes in your own backyard you're not known, but I think this is going to be a big one. Well, I am definitely unknown in my backyard. I think that's a very true statement. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, sometimes uh, that's, that's okay. I, I know where I've been a lot, a lot of times. I've, I, I've been much more known for the show outside of my own backyard everywhere I go. Sometimes by design, sometimes it's just the way it happens, but that's a, you know, kind of an, an ancient proverb somewhere in there. Yeah, I think you're right. It's... Um, it kind of goes back to that old saying, you know, you can't be a preacher in your own house. Well, if you can't be a preacher in your own house, then it's hard for anybody to know you in your backyard. So, And, and besides, your, your family will make fun of you if you try to preach to them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we got that coming up. And uh, who else is going to be there, by the way? Will, will Jim Hover be at the, at the Charlotte event, too? Uh, Jim Hover will be there. You'll be there. I'm hoping Liam's going to be there. And I believe Ty's going to be there. Wow, that's going to be a powerhouse. We had a, we had such a great time. We were only missing you up at the Health Freedom Expo, so if we can all get together in Charlotte, it'll be amazing. Yeah, I think it should be a great, great event. So is your, your, I know Shahid, your, your brother, is a very big activist, and he's got the Bill of Rights Defense Committee. In fact, I want to get him on soon about this, the, the NSA spying, of course, the Ed, Edward Snowden thing about the NSA, the CIA, all the intrigue going on behind here. But Mike just wrote a, an article for Natural News about it, and we did an interview on this whole kind of concept of like the Terminator Skynet, the machines with consciousness. But more importantly, before we get into that, the idea that if you could just vote the better people in there, it'd be okay. I think that's fallen by the wayside now based on the NSA's ability to spy on every phone call, every email, just about every action that you have. Somebody's done something that might embarrass them, and they utilize that against people that would vote one way to make them vote another. So I'm saying now, as I've said it for years, but I've got more technological evidence now to say that voting really doesn't matter. Well, I was just going to make that comment that uh, you know, you're saying that they can sway people based upon these secret uh the secret knowledge that the nsa has and so they can sway people's votes and i was going to ask you the question what makes you even think that a vote matters Mm -hmm. uh it would be presumptuous i think at this juncture to think that anybody's actually even looking at the votes because it seems like the discrepancy between voter fraud and 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 the truth within the voting uh, circles if you look at even the last election i think they named 19 different counties in Ohio, which was a swing state, where there wasn't a single Republican vote or a single vote for for a Romney. Zero, yeah, exactly. And that's just impossible that you could have 18 counties with just not one single vote for Romney. I mean, I don't care how 
one-sided or one, how biased one particular community may be. It's impossible that you have 18 communities mm-hmm. that have all one-sided vote. And I think they had 2,700 or I don't remember, 2,900 votes that they found in just one of those counties that were of people that had passed on you know, five to ten years ago. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that you need ID to go into a bar <laughs> But you don't need an ID to vote. That's what I found the most amazing. Yeah, background checks to 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 have uh, your Second Amendment rights uh, exercised. We need to see an ID for that, right? Uh, but to vote doesn't matter. But as I said, and I think you echoed that a little bit, the idea of voting is kind of silly at this point because the recognition, like, look, look at what happened with Obamacare. I covered this yesterday on my show uh, that Obamacare should have been declared unconstitutional on its face. But Justice Roberts, of all people, supposedly a conservative, but had a lot of pharmaceutical conflicts of interest, uh, was this deciding vote in somehow twisting and, and distorting reality to say, well, it's a tax and therefore it's constitutional. And, <laughs> and, you, and you say, OK, did they have something on him? Yeah. I mean, that the point is, even if you are able, if, even if there is a legitimate vote count, and you get your guy or gal in office. The fact of the matter is they know every intimate detail about you, and so if they want to sway the vote, they just go to their key folks in that way and dangle this and say, if you do not, this is what happens. And you watch these inconsistencies occur in people that are supposedly on the right, that you know they'll vote one way, they do something else, and on the left, the same thing will happen. And so the delegitimization of the system, I think this is what is reinforcing what I've been saying for many years, and it's an unpopular statement. Dr. Batar, although I, I've talked about one of the most successful ways you can, let's say, reverse cancer is to stop feeding it. Now, that's not the only thing. We know it's more comprehensive than that. But it's the idea of stop feeding the beast because it uses all of your energy against you. Well, exactly. I think that, you know, the simplicity of what you just said, the way you deal with cancer, stop feeding it. And, of course, there are more components and just that but let's look at the simplicity of it really if you did effectively stop the nutrient source to the tumor to that oncogenic process really that's all you do need because if the cancer can't survive Mm -hmm. it's not going to thrive and if it's not going to thrive then obviously it's not going to be a significant source of assault on the system now of course you have to have an immune system that's intact and the body's defenses have to be you know, upregulated, et cetera, et cetera. But just just that comment that you made, you said, of course, there are other things. But think about it for a second. Mm-hmm. If the cancer cannot survive, by definition, that's all you need. You just need to block off the nutrient supply. So, in other words, you don't need to make multiple changes in order to be victorious. You just need to make one effective change. And if it's effective enough, by definition, you should be victorious in the overall battle well isn't it true uh, in the animal kingdom you see evidence of this that you know cats or even dogs will fast if they're very ill i mean they'll literally stop eating mm-hmm. and, and and you know nature found a way that fa- fasting for instance is a very powerful way now it's not something that everybody seemingly can do and survive because there are other factors of toxicity and immune system dysregulation or dysfunction or exhaustion and collapse that may exist because we've complicated things tremendously you know, animals would not knowingly and willingly poison themselves with food the way humans are so stupid to do. Exactly. And I think that the evidence of that is even even in our own clinic, we have taken patients and 
that you know, on a modified fasting um, diet or on a modified, what we call a modified elimination diet, but then it's also sometimes turns into a modified fast. I've myself fasted for religious purposes for Ramadan, which is morning to night, but then I've also done a 13, 14, 15 day fast two or three times where we do consume some water and some uh, minerals and molasses. That's the ones that I did the 13, 14 day fast. But you know what the remarkable thing was and in all those fasts, even though I didn't really see any difference in, in weight or those type of things that a lot of people do, when we drew my blood for the ozone autohemotherapy, Usually when you draw blood to do ozone autohemotherapy, the blood is very dark in individuals. The more toxic an individual is, the more oxidative stress they're under, the darker the blood, the more maroon it looks. Right. Once you actually ozonate it and bring the blood back to infuse it back into the individual and to the patient, you actually see that blood absolutely perfect, the most perfect red. I mean, just a crimson red. It's just beautiful how bright and and bold that red is but it's not the same as when you took the blood out it almost looks black like a deep dark maroon it just doesn't look as beautiful as it does after you ozonate it the reason is because at, once you ozonate it it's completely clean there's nothing that's in there i mean that you could take somebody with the uh, you know the most contaminated blood they could have all sorts of viruses and this and that and i don't care what they've got in there you ozonate it ozone will kill everything in there yeah it was it, it was interesting my wife just went back to the dentist for a follow-up and he was doing some uh, cleaning of the area with ozone and she happened to have that day a kind of a cough and a sinus issue that was mm-hmm. lingering for a few days she left that and they weren't treating her for that but they were literally utilizing ozone it ended up in the sinuses got every boom done it was gone that fast yeah. it was amazing yeah, it's very, very effective. And just so that everybody understands, please don't go out there and start, you know, using ozone. Ozone is a very destructive substance. It's highly oxidizing. But when you put it into the into the blood, what happens is that healthy blood cells have the ability to produce catalase and peroxidase. In fact, it's all cells, not just red blood cells, but all healthy cells have the ability to produce catalase and peroxidase. Now, think of it, and I think we've talked about this before on the show, Robert, but just think of this analogy. Think of firemen going through a tunnel, and the firemen are like the healthy blood cells, and they're going through the tunnel, which is like the blood vessel, and all of a sudden, this burst off fire comes through it. That's the ozone, and that fire is going to basically kill everything in its path. That's the ozone that's coming down into the vessel. And what the firemen do is they stop and pull over their fire retardant blankets, mm-hmm. and that is essentially the catalase and peroxidase, the ability of the healthy cells to produce that, which renders them essentially immune to the burst of ozone. And all the DNA adducts, all abnormal cells, cancer cells, yeast, bacteria, viruses, spirochetes, whatever is in the blood basically gets chewed up and burned up by the ozone because they don't have the ability to produce that uh, catalyst in the peroxidase. So it's a quick burst, but then afterwards that tunnel is completely clean. So that those firemen, once they take off the fire retardant blankets, they're undamaged. And that's basically what happens to the healthy cells. Because they have the ability to produce and compensate with the catalyst and peroxidase, they don't get damaged by the ozone burst, but everything else does. So that's the reason the blood looks so bright red. Now, we kind of went off on a tangent talking about this, but what I wanted to explain was that when we fasted, when I fasted, when some of the other patients fasted and we drew their blood for ozone treatment, what we noticed was after fasting, 
10 days, 12 days, your blood came back out originally. Like when we normally pull it out, it looks that, like I explained, that maroon color. And right, then when you right. ozen it, it becomes bright red. But after fasting, when you draw the blood out, it looks just like it would normally after you've taken it through ozone. And pardon it's, me for, for taking a sidestep back to the Boston Marathon bombing. Remember the blood that was on the street there, the, all the pictures? Mm-hmm. It was as if they had just ozonated those people. And you can tell, I, I, you know they hadn't been ozonated and they hadn't been fasting for 10 to 12 days, so you know it was fake. That's a, that's a good point because that blood was very red. And normally when you see blood, it's not like that. You're no, right. exactly. It's, uh, I, just, I just wanted to bring that up just so as a frame of reference visually for everybody. I'm not saying that nobody was hurt. We're just saying that those official photographs that were released... There was a scam going on, at least in that realm, in that arena. Listen, we're going to take a quick break here. It's Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashi Batar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Remember, a lot of the archives are easy to access through medicalrewind.com as well. All the links are up, including to the Advanced Medicine Seminar coming up in Charlotte and as well the next month after that, early August in Cancun, the big one. We'll talk more about that as well. Stand by. The Robert Scott Bell Show. in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Oxygen has been the topic a lot lately on the Robert Scott Bell Show, and uh, we're, we're discussing it, too, here with Dr. Batar. One of the main focal points, I guess, of uh, the care that you give, it's pretty much standard of care, if you can call it that, in your clinic. Is that, and I might understand that correctly? Well, absolutely, because we deal with the seven toxicities. The first one, heavy metals, and the second one, oxidative stress from the pollutants, persistent organic pollutants, the chemicals. So the only way to really effectively get rid of these chemicals, as very well delineated in the German literature from 50, 60 years ago, is by using ozone to break those persistent organic pollutants into smaller subunits that the body can then actually process out. So one of the reasons we call them persistent organic pollutants or POPs is because the tendency for these chemicals to persist in the body is very, very high. The liver cannot process them out. And so when we use ozone, the ozone helps to break these chemicals down into these smaller subparticles that the that the I'm saying subparticles but into subunits that right, the right. body can now start to process out. The other thing that people can do to get rid of chemicals is also use infrared saunas. So these are the only two ways that I know of effectively getting rid of the chemicals. Of course they are homeopathics that we also utilize mm-hmm. and uh, to facilitate that but I use the homeopathics before the ozone or homeopathics before the infrared sauna. Yeah. to help facilitate it. So, yes, it would be part and parcel of our standard, which is first dealing with the heavy metals and second or almost concomitantly using these various treatments to deal with the persistent organic pollutants. Now, is, is it a one and out for these folks that come in and get this ozone, a one-time blood cleansing, if you will, or is it something that is consistent daily for weeks or every once in a while, every week? How would, we, how would you describe it? Well, it really depends, Robert. It's a variable that's based upon the patient's individual's situation and based on their history and what they've gone through. But essentially, if I have a patient that's come in that's got a lot of chemical exposure history and they've got a lot of health problems, usually I'll hit them for five days in a row the mm-hmm. first week and then we drop it down to three days the second week. And then after that, it's once a week for, you know, it could be just for a week. It could be um, every week for 
of a couple of months. It all depends on the individual sure, and what sure. we see and what we find. But um, generally speaking, if somebody has a cold, for instance, they've got a, the you know they get the flu or they've got an upper respiratory infection, usually just one treatment's all you need. We, and we combine that with the uh, ultraviolet blood irradiation. So we do UVBI and we do ozone at the same time. And generally speaking, a person will feel the difference before they leave the clinic. And nice. certainly by, you know, within a few hours, they'll they'll feel the difference. So Nice, nice. Well, listen, I, I want to tell another quick story about my mom, who's a big fan of yours, of course. She wants to come up to Charlotte, but she's going to be in London with her with her sister and family at the same time, so I have to coordinate another another seminar we'll get her to. But she was in uh, Mexico on vacation recently with a friend, and she's pretty organic like me, and she was eating food that wasn't as clean as it should have been, but she was having a great time. She came back. She called me after her vacation and said, I, you know, I feel rotten. Uh, I, I just feel sluggish. I can't I can't think clearly like normally. And, you know, she remember, she's 79, but mm-hmm. she's not like a normal 79-year-old. She's not on any drugs. She goes out dancing normally every night just about and i said mom you know congratulations you feel like what most americans feel like after 50 years of age you know that's just what typical americans feel like they can't even get thoughts out anymore but but she said i I hate it i don't like it what do i do what do i do i said remember liver 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 you're you need to process this garbage out so you talked about homeopathy we got her on that's what she's very comfortable with homeopathic detox she she won't do the coffee enemas so it's like okay mom how about take an extra selenium now we've talked about the food grown or whole food type selenium i had her take about 800 micrograms and in 24 hours she was a different she was back to her old self i mean literally mm. she cleansed that quickly because she's normally clean and her body functions but amazing what you can do when you can get the liver going if you're not too far gone. Of course, it's different for people coming to you that have been for decades re- reaching down towards the cancerous state. Well, I think that the point is very valid, though, that if done correctly, it's amazing what the physiological system, and I used to say the human body, but now I say the physiological system because it's not just the human body. You can take dogs or horses or any mm-hmm. any animal. And the way that that machine has been created, it's amazing what can be done if you just put the right things in place. Right. And and also eliminate the things that shouldn't be there. And uh, it just blows me away every time I see an individual. You know, Robert, how hard it is to kill a person? <laughs> it's really hard to kill a person because theoretically we should all be dead because of all the stuff that we do to our own bodies and all the things that have been done to our bodies, even unbeknownst to us. Oh, I'm right. Re- I'm regularly amazed by it. the more I've learned about the garbage that's that we're that, that we're dumping on ourselves, much less being dumped on us or eating. You know, the first 24 years of my life, first 18, 19, particularly, you know, we've, we've been through those stories already. But I am stunned by how these people are still functioning. Plus, you know, the recent report last week I re- revealed 70 percent, according to the Mayo Clinic. Now, 70 percent of every of all Americans on mm-hmm. at least one prescription drug, 70 percent, not 17, 70 Wow. How is it we're alive? And it's uh, 50% are on two or more. So it's not even a minor issue. That's another aspect of this. Forget the, the Ben Bernanke economics. I mean, we're killing ourselves with FDA-approved pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah, I was going to say, if there is really a conspiracy against the human race here, uh, the people that are doing something, you know, that are the antagonists, I guess you would call them, the ones that are masterminding this plot and i'm being somewhat facetious here but i'm sure that they're really frustrated because they can't kill off enough people fast enough (laughs) oh i know and and, you know i covered another i think the top class believe it or not is antibiotics of course antibiotics tend to be we come and go with it as opposed to being on the statins which they try to put you on for good or antidepressants they try to put you on for good 
but the, the idea here is that everybody is being put on these things. And yet I, I'll still have some people, uh, Dr. Tarl, say, well, it's, the, it's, it's your own fault, right? It's, your, it's the people's fault, right? Because they're demanding that the doctors give them something. And, and I'm saying, well, who has the, the prescription pen? Who can write it? Can the people write it? And well, yeah. no. So I understand you're wanting to blame the people who demand something of a doctor, but where is the doctor's cojones to say, no, I'm the doc. You do not need an antibiotic. And that's a great, great point to make because it is not the responsibility of the individual to say, I don't want this antibiotic. It should be the doctor's responsibility because that's the professional. That's the person that the patient is paying money to to come to get the answer. And yet, I think that more doctors probably do want to tell the truth and a lot of them are realizing the truth, but they're scared now. They've been bullied and intimidated into the standard of care that if you don't prescribe that drug, you are not practicing the standard of care. I've actually had this happen over 15 years ago, and I think we even talked about this on the air before, Robert, where Mm -hmm. the... um, where the, um, the hospital administrator came down after the patient, I took care of the child. It was a uh, child with an ear infection and had already been put on two different antibiotics and parents come in. And of course, even the ER literature at that time, this is back 15 years ago, had said that 75 or 73%, something like that, of all ear infections, of all otitis media were really viral in etiology right, and should right. not be treated with antibiotics. But people come into the emergency room, they've got the child's got an earache, they expect to be put on antibiotics. And of course, this particular child had already been in two courses of antibiotics and wasn't getting better, was getting actually worse. I examined the ears and I told her, I said, you know, how are you feeding the child? And she said, well, you know, like normal. I said, well, what's like normal? Mm-hmm. This is like an eight-month, nine-month-old baby. And I said, well, what do you mean by normal? What's normal? She said, well, I just give him his bottle. And I said, well, so how, how does he drink it? Well, he lays there and he drinks it. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a problem. You need to have this child sitting up when you feed the child. And, you know, the eustachian tube is in a position that the milk can get into the eustachian tube and get into other areas where it shouldn't be. So have the child sitting up when you feed him, you know, hold him in your lap or whatever, but just hold him up. And, um, let let this thing just travel its course, and in two or three days, it'll be fine. Well, she didn't like that. She was in complaints to the hospital administrator. He comes down, and he starts, you know, telling me that their, their hospital administrators are all the same. They want the patient to be happy. It has right, nothing right. to do with, you know, whether you're practicing good medicine or bad medicine. And um, basically told me that I had to write a prescription, and, you know, doctors jump when hospital administrators tell them what to do. And <laughs> hmm. I told him, I said, tell you what, why don't you write the prescription for her and uh, and then you can satisfy her needs. Oh, that's right. The state didn't find that you had the ability. In fact, you don't have the education to have the right to write that prescription, right? Oops. So I said, until you get your ability to write the prescription, don't get in my face. And I just walked away and everybody was looking at me like, you freaking idiot. You just sealed your fate, which, you know, yeah. I'd been brought up on so many times in front of the – hospital board because of, uh, you know, complaint here, complaint there. But it was interesting because the chief of the ER always fought for me. And I asked him once why. And he said, because you have, you know, you see more patients than everybody else. And we have the lowest bounce back with your patients and meaning that they were addressed correctly. But I've never believed in sugarcoating things and patting a person that comes in with acute asthmatic attack who's still got the cigarette ashes on his shirt from the last cigarette he just smoked and tell him it's going to be okay. I mean, I'm going to preach to him and tell him that, you know, are you an idiot? Why are you still smoking if you got reactive airway disease? Exactly. So this this type of uh, thought process, you know, where the patient then gets upset because the doctor told him he needs to stop smoking and then complains to the hospital minister and he comes down and says, you know, why are you telling people to stop smoking? Well, because that's what they need. They need to stop smoking. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I was just thinking about the, the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Uh, I mean, do you have to have a, a second one for the nine steps to keep the doctors away from doctors, too, or do they, do they already know it? Well, <laughs> you know, I think really you're right. The next phase of education should really be for the doctors. And mm-hmm. it's not even phase of education to teach them the right from the wrong, because I think the vast majority of doctors already know that. It's to teach them the, how to reach in and actually try to find their cojones so that they actually mm-hmm. do what's right. That's it. That's it. Exactly right. Because they're, they're scared, you know what, less. But uh, we're going to try and get, get, bring that power to heal back to them as well. That's what we're here for. It's Advanced Medicine Monday on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashid Bittar. All the links are up. We hope to see you at the next Advanced Medicine Seminar in Charlotte. That's the 19th and 20th of July and then following that early August we've got the links as well check it out when we come back I'm going to I'm going to surprise Dr. Batara with something because we always thought that only you know doctors can write prescriptions but uh, according to Medicare Part D that might not be true so stand by for that and a whole lot more mm. we'll be right back the Robert Scott Bell in the health world through the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show now this one this one takes the cake uh, doctor are you ready for this new story even, i'm almost scared to ask i know you. even i was shocked by this uh this is uh this is out of abc news reported this through the note it said massage therapists chiropractors and even personal trainers wrote drug prescriptions that they shouldn't have and medicare Paid for them. Now, lest you think this was like a one-off, like uh, just a rogue chiropractor or a rogue uh, massage therapist writing a prescription drug, uh, this is 72,552 times this happened (laughs) to a total of 5.4 million. And there was an additional 26.2 million paid out for prescriptions written by social workers, occupational therapists, counselors. All these folks that don't have the authority to even write. Now, I'm not even in favor of a lot of doctors writing prescription drugs because most of them aren't doing it right. But come on, really? Massage therapist? No, wait a second, though. I mean, this is like they, they, weren't trying to, they weren't trying to pull a fast one over on anybody. This is like they were authorized to do this. Or why would, why would people I'm, – I'm getting a disjoint here. I don't understand. You're talking about that people just pulled up prescriptions and they start filling them out for patients that they weren't doctors? Yeah, they, they were like that's said, a felony, a, a, though. That's phys- supposed to be a felony to practice medicine without a license. Yeah, but it, it, suddenly nobody really cared. And not only that, the government is so efficient that Medicare Part D actually reimbursed on all of those scripts that were written by non-doctors. I mean, it, you talk about stunning numbers. It's like, you know, I covered a story last week with Ty. You would have loved this. Uh, in uh, Polk County, Florida. They, they started a, like a, a pilot program to do retinal scans on the students, and they didn't get permission mm-hmm. of the parents. And so the, the school administrator said, oh, oops, it was an accident. It was a mistake. And then the next question was, well, how many students did they do this to? I mean, one or two or five or ten. And they went, oh, we shouldn't do this. No, it was like 520. Oops. Oh right. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you get in government. It's incredible. And this is amazing that they will, <clears throat> you know, the, you know, the reprimand that I got from the medical board after that three and a half year battle that cost 14 million was yeah. writing a prescription. I'm sorry, excuse me, a staff member fulfilling a prescription for a prescriptive item, which, by the way, we developed mm-hmm. the TDD MPS and 
with appropriate lab work, with appropriate analysis, but without a provider seeing them. Now, you're telling me without a provider seeing them here, you've got people that aren't even providers that are writing scripts and the government's paying it out, but that's okay? Yeah, and and, and out of the 30,000 or so uh, scripts in this case, uh, almost 8,000 were for Schedule II drugs like oxycodone and morphine. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, you get doctors that are they're like the, they call them the, the pill mills that are just writing these scripts. I'm just saying that it, the system... I, broken doesn't even begin to describe it. I can't. I mean, this is. I'm sitting here just thinking about this, Robert. This sounds so far off from anything that you could even fathom as being real. Because you know, you've got the drug enforcement agency that monitors, and you have to have a DEA number to be able to write any Schedule Two drugs. First mm-hmm. of all, you have prescriptions. In fact, where are the prescription pads coming from that these people are writing? You've got. The act of writing a prescription, which is by definition, you're now mimicking a doctor. You're um, it's a it's a felony to um, practice medicine without a license. So by writing a prescription for a Schedule Two, even a Schedule One, that is prescribing a drug that is practicing medicine and that is without a license. And then on top of that, as if to condone it, the government is now reimbursing for it. So where where do all the doctors that are being singled out for doing whatever's right, where do they even come into this picture? I mean, I would think that these 30,000, is that what you said, 30,000 prescriptions? Yeah, according to this uh, this article. I mean, I, I just sent you the link just so you can review it and just scratch your head and go, I, I just, I couldn't conceive of it. And they and they thought you were a danger? I mean, I mean this is the way, this is the way it is. It's, this is like saying that turning around and looking over your left shoulder is something that is dangerous and something that justifies 14 million dollars in fighting that's just what it costs me i don't know how much it costs everybody else and mm-hmm. how much it costs the government uh, the the medical board that's a problem but you know what you can defecate and urinate <laughs> in public on any person's property and that's okay <laughs> unreal unbelievable so again this is the kind of thing when we talk about government medicine government sanctioned medicine i think in mexico i think you're allowed to just get us you can go to the pharmacy and get a an antibiotic now i'm not saying whether that's good or bad i'm just saying that that it's different in, cer- in certain countries but by and large as we see the, the the problem we see in the in a lot of the west particularly in america is that if you are a doctor and you let's say prescribe colloidal silver or the silver hydrosol I mean, they, they would come and get you so rapidly, even though the antibiotic manufacturers themselves are starting to engineer nanoparticles of silver into the antibiotics that no longer work just to make them work again. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I, I, I can't even I can't even go on thinking about this, Robert. This is just annoying the hell out of me now. What you just <laughs> oh, sorry. Said. Can you send me that? Can you send me that? Reference yeah, yeah. Because- I, I said I just sent it to you. You can check it out and, and read up and report back to me because I'm still shaking my head on that. I'm like, yes, this is why we want government to manage our medicine. They do such a darn good job. Medicare Part D. Anybody sign up, you can write a script, too. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the commentary from the peanut gallery that which would be the medical boards i, I want to know what they're saying of course they probably don't even they probably don't even either know it or are going to just turn the their cheek you know the other way pretend like they don't well the problem the problem as i see is that it's it's harder for them to go after let's say these other professions not that it's impossible but they seem to be more in, inclined to 
let's see if we can constrain the doctors to do what we want them to do and not let them stray away, just like you know that firsthand and many good doctors that we've interviewed over the years here. Uh, no. And, and so they might, too, they too might be scratching their heads going, I don't even know what to do. I mean, you know how, if they wrote, uh, and, and at one level here, you'll see 72,552 prescriptions nationwide in this uh, program. How many of these were written by these uh, massage therapists? 12,000. Uh, athletic trainers ordered almost 9,000. Contractors, they don't even say what these folks are, almost 3,000. I mean, this is not like just, as I said, one-off, oops, it was a mistake, somebody goofed. I mean, this is... Did you say the last one? Did you say contractors? Yeah, it doesn't even say what they are. They're just contractors with... Like what, like real estate contractors? I mean, build... What's, it's a good question. Qu- yeah, well, in fact, it is. It's uh, those two... Uh, uh, make repairs or modifications to accommodate health conditions such as wheelchair ramps. So you're building a wheelchair ramp. Hey, you need a script oh for oxycodone? <laughs> Come on over here. We, you won't even know if you're rolling up or down the ramp at this point. Just have fun. I just thought that that was an illegal thing. I think that's, that's what drug dealers do, isn't it? That they go out, they get a prescription, they write for oxycodone, and then the DEA is looking to see how many times this prescription has been written. And that's what the purpose of having a drug enforcement agency number is so that yeah. you, they can separate the valid prescriptions from the non-valid ones, but now they're allowing it and they're reimbursing for it. This yeah. is just Merit, cool. marriage and family therapists as well. <laughs> and come where on, did this come, where did the story come out at? It, well, it's ABC news reported on it. Mean, it's not like it's, a, it's, it's even a, a suspect news organization. All the mainstream media we know is suspect. I was you know just going to say, wait a second, bite yeah. your tongue. Yeah. Something. But still, this is, I'm sure they wouldn't have put a story out like this unless there was some validity to it, because that's just amazing. Yep, yep. yep. And th- this is uh, this is where it's been. This is where it, where it could be going. Marriage counselors now, chiropractors. Chiropractors. Why chiropractors? They're supposed to be non-drug. They're not into drugs, and they're writing scripts in this thing. Well, you just got me at the contractors. That's what, you know, uh, a contractor, somebody who's working on a wheelchair, you know, but, at least a chiropractor has knowledge of the human body, but I mean, what about a person that's working on a wheelchair? Right. Well, right. Uh, I guess you could say that um, they're qualified to do something. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I have to take a break. I know you want to take a break too. Also, we do have a question coming in. Someone. Who, I think we should uh, end the show today. Right? Uh, yeah, let's walk away from that. after that story. It's it's not even April Fools that I'm reading that, yeah, but that exactly. was real. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk. Take a question from a listener, uh, someone who's been through bladder surgeries, having some uh, neuropathy issues, and we'll talk about that and more on Advanced Medicine Monday here with Doctor Rasha Bittar on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Stand by. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. To the mailbag. And you know, you can ask these questions in person if you come to the Advanced Medicine Seminar in Charlotte the 19th and 20th of July. Sign up. It's going to be great. We'll see you there. In the meantime, we got a question from Carrie. She says, Robert, Dr. Patar, looking for relief from gallbladder surgery a year ago. Woke up with the bottom of my feet numb. It has now gone up to my knees and tips of my hands unstable on my feet so went to a stationary exercise bike i feel so limited with all this pain no dairy no wheat just plant-based diet and the odd protein of nuts and turkey i am taking magnesium vitamin d milk thistle vitamin e turmeric and pepper along with cayenne paste on my legs with much research on neuropathy peripheral i believe this is what i have 
Is there an archive of your show in which you have discussed this, or could you suggest any further help? This is very debilitating and painful. Thank you. Carrie, you don't have to go to the archive because we'll, we'll cover that right now for you. Now, Dr. Bertar, I realize every surgery has its risks. Uh, the gallbladder, I mean, I don't know how it might relate back to a, a neuropathy. I mean, is there anything that you could screw up on in that kind of surgery that would, you know, indicate, well, this is a logical thing that could happen? Well, not really because the areas that would be of concern would be more dorsal. So unless the surgeon like literally fell into the abdominal cavity and, you know, like tripped and fell in head first type of thing, I I wouldn't anticipate any type of nerve issue being implicated from a gallbladder surgery. I mean, it's a relatively, um, well, but benign in, in the sense that it's 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 contained in an area that is really, if you do it right, there's not a lot of uh, secondary tertiary uh, negative impact. Right, you can't th- get to any nerves that would affect numbness as far as that happens. And see, here's the thing: she said she woke up with bottom of my feet numb, not mm-hmm. one foot, but both. Both, right, bilateral then. Right. So basically, when there's neurological implications due to nerve deficits, even if it's like a intracranial lesion that's causing mass effect where a person can't ambulate or, you know, they're having some type of a cancer type thing of, you know, affecting the, creating that mass effect. You're only going to see it on one side. You're not going right. to see it on, on both sides. So when there's something on, the, on both feet, there's something else going on. And, you know, my first concern would be, Robert, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what type of anesthesia she had and if she's ever had any sensitivities to anesthesia before um this sounds like a more systemic issue because then it seems to have traveled up to her knees tips of her hands and see any kind of nerve deficits that would be caused by surgery assuming that the surgeon did fall in head first and you know (laughs) yes right like literally carrie let us know if that happened by the way yeah yeah yeah, another 12 inches deeper than he should have been or whatever but even then it wouldn't affect something that would affect the feet and the mm-hmm. knees and the hands. I mean, that's this is something systemic going on. This is not Yeah, you're reading it exa- exactly as I felt it. That was one of the things that I was going to ask you about, potentially uh, a reaction to anesthesia. You know, you hear people c- coming in to surgeries that it, it seemed to be fine, and, and now they're implicating anesthesia in certain things, and that, that certainly mm-hmm. could affect the nervous system. Absolutely, and the residual is... If a person is sensitive, the residual can be quite devastating. Um, I've had this type of scenario where I've seen that, in fact, a patient of mine that was a doctor, he was a invasive radiologist and young guy and um, opened up a procedure tray to work on a patient and just got kind of hit with this. He, he described it as a fume and um, didn't think anything of it afterwards, but it was a little disoriented and a little dizzy. And then had the same thing happen about a week later. And after that, just essentially fell apart. They had him diagnosed with myasthenia gravis, with multiple sclerosis, with um, Lou Gehrig's disease, and uh, slowly got weaker and weaker where he couldn't stand up. He, he had to only get around with a wheelchair. I mean, he was really confined. And um, when I saw him, he could barely move any parts of his body. He, could, he had some upper body movement, some upper extremity movement, and that was about it. He couldn't get out of a wheelchair. And, um, you know, this was a healthy athlete who graduated from medical school, played college ball, and, um, you know, was in good shape. And and in like 34, 35 years of age, he's debilitated and he's confined to a wheelchair. And it was some type of a chemical exposure he had. He only came to us for about uh, four or five days. He was from Michigan. And um, 
then started doing some more treatments up there through another doctor that had come through our training program and and did okay, but I don't think he fully recovered. Well, what kind and, of what kind of gases would they use to purify that if you're if you're opening up sterile, uh, you know, type of uh, uh, surgical equipment? I mean, is it possible that there were gases that were still in that container that just uh, outgas suddenly in this case? Well, exactly, they, some kind of uh, outgassing or some type of a chemical that was used as a sterilizing agent or as an antiseptic or something i just hope it wasn't something like mercury chloride or something yeah well who knows what it was um and the vast majority of people probably aren't sensitive to it but somebody who is sensitive you know this is one of the things we talk about with metal there's three Mm -hmm. ways that they can hurt of course everybody knows the toxicity aspect that causes the oxidative stress and that's what causes the demise and then of course there's the mineral displacement where the heavy metal comes in and displaces the essential minerals that are necessary and so the metabolic process can't continue the way it's supposed to but the third way that very few doctors really even consider is the allergenicity to the metals Mm -hmm. so now we have this allergenicity component that many people could have not just to metals but to anything so they could be just a container of you know, whatever sitting there that nobody else would, it wouldn't affect anybody. It could be Windex, for example, that somebody uses to spray windows and sure it's got chemicals and sure it's not, you know, healthy for anybody. But one person could come into contact with this Windex sprayed on a glass and theoretically be totally incapacitated because they can't process those chemicals. Whatever the uh, detox, natural detoxification processes are in our system, that one particular compound could completely shut down the entire system right and you know this invasive radiologist that i'm telling you about that was one such case and it could be that she had this person that's writing in um what was her name carrie yes yeah uh she could actually have had the same type of scenario where she was just by coincidence happened to have a sensitivity to one of these drugs and it's caused this type of scenario to occur because it's certainly not a normal thing that you would see after gallbladder surgery. And you certainly wouldn't see it uh, a year later. Um, you no, know, it's another thing it, she it, said that she had lingering. this a year ago and then woke but it, up with but it. But if it does seem to be coinciding with the recovery or you know, post-operative, then you know, it, is, it is very reasonable to assume that something there or it could have been something preceding it that would set the stage. Because even a minor invasive surgery, if you can call it that, of a, gall- of a gallbladder surgery, uh, can create a scenario that tips you over the edge because it's still a violation of the fundamental protection points energetically, much, much less physiologically, of the body. You know, that's an excellent point, Robert. Think about this for a second. When people get fibromyalgia, for example, when you go back in their history or chronic fatigue, there's always a precipitating event. In other words, they were fine and then they were in a motor vehicle accident. And right after that, this whole cascade of pain and debilitation starts. And of course, yes, people would say, well, it's a car accident. That's what did it. But it can also sometimes be a divorce or it can be just some type of a strange scenario where it's not a physical manifestation. There's something else that triggers some type of a stress that causes this uh, it's basic a, It's a major walking. traumatic event, but, but it can be an emotional event too, an emotional trauma or accident. Exactly. And the point is that it just all of a sudden hits them and it's that uh, that, that burden that they can't process, whatever that burden is. And so here's a person that has some kind of an issue going on. Maybe the surgery was part and parcel of that initial stressor, but something else finally, you know, it's kind of like what 
what was the needle that broke the camel's back? The, the, <laughs> the straw. That's great. The straw. Excuse yeah. me. The straw. Of that course, broke if the, the, if, back. The, if the camel doctor was poking needles in and they were not acupuncture needles, it could be the thing that exactly. broke the camel's back. Well, too. I'm a physician, so I'm thinking needles instead <laughs> of uh, straw. But yes, you're right. The straw uh, and and, and by the back. way, Carrie, you know I, I've talked about this a lot. I, I've seen clinically the evidence that silver facilitates neurological regeneration. So we flooded the body of folks with with peripheral neuropathies, and it's helped them. We've used homeopathic Hypericum perforatum, which is St. John's wort in the homeopathic form, with other nerve-type remedies to support. We've talked about omega-3 essential fats, and also the trace mineral silicon, or silica, which is so essential for all connective tissue and neurological tissue integrity. And Robert, I'll add to that that in this particular scenario, I would definitely do a challenge test to see if this yes. individual has mercury, lead, you know, cadmium, what other types of exposure she's agreed. had, and, and also chemicals. Absolutely agreed. That's the thing. And you, you'll learn about that because it'll be talked about more extensively in the Advanced Medicine Seminar coming up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and as well the, the week-long retreat that'll be amazing because it's going to go back last week. You'll hear the, some of the things we covered. It is an incredible what's going to happen there. Uh, because it goes just beyond the advanced medicine. If there is a beyond, you'll go to Cancun for that. It'll be beyond. Well, we are really excited about that, Robert. I think it will be an event that is going to be remembered. Uh, we're going to do more of these, but this first one that's key because the Build a Successful Life seminar that I've done and had great success at. We had people from all over the world that attended the two that we did, one in 2008, one in 2010. We're doing a home program, a home study program, and we've got about 20 hours. We need about another six to eight hours left to finish this. And so we're going to be presenting, I'm going to be presenting some of that information at the Cancun event and also capture that in video so we can go back to finish our home course, which will be then sold, you know, throughout the world. But Mm -hmm. every attendee is going to get that course for free. And that's got a price point probably around $1,500 or something. Beautiful. But it, and it's going to have 100% money back guarantee. But everybody that attends a course is getting that for free. All right. Well, check it out. We've got the links online at robertscottbell.com. Of course, you can go over to Medical Rewind. We also have the links to the nine steps to keep the doctor away. International bestseller by Dr. Rosh Bittar. We're out of time. But we'll be back next week for more advanced medicine. In the meantime, remember this. The God's honest truth, the power to heal, is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.